0: What's up, everybody? This is episode 120 of the Opinion Overload podcast. Today, we're doing the second reading of Beowulf, and let's see what page am I on. I'm on page 31, Uh, probably going to try and get to page 60-ish around there. And I've been reading the commentary, the notes. It's an uh, interesting—it's definitely an interesting thing to read some of these commentaries, because— Without having read the book, it kind of doesn't give you everything you need to know, because I don't know all the stuff in the book yet. But you do see um, a lot of references to things like C.S. Lewis making edits to this. And let's go to my last, the page I was on last. It was this one. And it's talking about how they translated it, like... um, There were some words. This was co- I'm trying to figure out the best way to explain it. This was collated from three, maybe four versions. And each one is just the best one for that specific translation of those words. And that was pretty fascinating to me because I wouldn't think that they would be doing four translations. I would think they would do, you know, one, but they just keep editing it. So this is the collated best of four translations. And. I'm going to get to reading here real quick. But last time, I just kind of cut off and then went into playing that God of War theme. Uh, I'm going to give a little bit of closure to this one and kind of talk about how I felt about the reading. But I'm going to hop into it right here. So let's get back to page 31 and go back to where I was at. Where was I? Hmm. Hmm. Oh, thus Beowulf. So, thus Beowulf, son of Edgetho, spake, this did I purpose when I went upon the sea and sat me in my boat, sat me in my sea boat amid my company of knights, that I wholly would accomplish the desire of your people or would fall among the slain fast in the clutches of the foe. A deed of knightly valor I shall achieve, or else in this mead hall await my latest day. These words well pleased that lady, the proud utterance of the geet. With gold adorned she went, fair queen of the people, to her seat beside her lord. Then again, as before, were valiant words spoken within the hall. The host was in joyful hour. There was clamor of folk triumphant until on a sudden the son of Hephaldin desired to seek his nightly couch. He knew that onslaught against that lofty hall had been purposed in the demon's heart from the hours when they could see the light of the sun until darkling night, and the shapes of mantling shadow came gliding over the world, dark beneath the clouds. All the host arose. Then man saluted man, Hrothgar and Beowulf, all hail the king him wished giving to him the keeping of his house of wine. In this word he spake, Never have I ere this, since I could lift hand and shield to any other man save thee here, and now entrusted the mighty dwelling of the Danes. Have it now, and hold it, fairest of houses. Remember thy renown, show forth thy might and valor, keep watch against our foes. No lack shall there be of thee to thy desires." If thou dost achieve this deed of valor, and yet live. Then Hrothgar departed, defender of the Sildings. With his company of knights forth from the hall, their warrior lord would follow. Well, though, his queen and, and the companion of his couch, the king of glory as men now heard, had appointed one to guard the hall against Grendel. Now a special office he held in the service of the Danes, having taken on himself a watch against monstrous things. Verily the Geatish knight trusted confidently in his valiant strength, God's grace to him. Then his corslet of iron things he doffed, and the helm from his head, and gave his jeweled sword best of iron-wrought things to his esquire, and bade him have care of his gear of battle. Then the brave man spake, Beowulf of the Geats, a speech of proud words, ere he climbed upon his bed, no wit do I account myself in my warlike stature, a man more despicable in deeds of battle than Grendel doth himself. Therefore, I will not, with sword, give him the sleep of death, although I well could. Not doth he know of gentle arms that he should wield weapon against me or hew my shield. Fierce through he, fierce though he be in savage deeds, nay, we too shall this night reject the blade if he dare have recourse to warfare without weapons, and then let the foreseeing God, the Holy Lord, adjudge the glory to whichever side him seemeth meet. Then he laid him down, that valiant man, and his face was buried in the pillow at his cheek. And about him many a gallant rover was stretched upon his couch within the hall. None of them believed that he would ever return to the sweetness of his home, to the strong places of the free people where he was nurtured, nay, they had learned that a bloody death had ere now in the ha- that hall of wine swept away all too many of the Danish folk. Yet, God granted them a victorious fortune in battle, even to those Gietish warriors. Ye succor and aid that they, though their prowess of one and through his single might overcame their enemy, manifest is this truth, that mighty God hath ruled the race of men throughout all the ages. There came in darkling night passing. "'A shadow walking. "'The spearmen slept whose duty was to guard the gabled hall, "'all except one. "'Well known it was to men that if God willed it not, "'the robber fiend no power had to drag them to the shades. "'But he there wakeful in his foes despite abode grim-heartened the debate of war. "'He came now from the moor under misty fells, "'Grendel walking.' The wrath of God was on him, foul thief. He purposed of the race of men, some someone to snare within that lofty hall. Under cloud he went to where he knew full well that house of wine was, hall of men with gold bright plated. Not the first adventure that, that he had made, seeking for Hrothgar's home. Never in days of life before nor later with harder fortune guards and hall he found. He came now to the house, a man-shaped journeying of men's mirth shorn. The door at once sprang back, barred with forged iron, when claws he laid on it. He wrenched them wide, baleful with raging heart, the gaping entrance of the house, then swift on the bright patterned floor the demon paced. In angry mood he went, and from his eyes stood forth most like to flame unholy light. He in the house espied there, many a man asleep, a throng of kinsmen side by side, a band of youthful knights. Then his heart laughed. He thought that he would sever, ere daylight come, dread slayer for each one of these life from their flesh. Since now such hope had chanced a feasting full, it was no longer doomed that he yet might more race, might of the race of men devour beyond that night. There, stern and strong, the kinsman of Higelac watched how that foul thief with his fell clutches would now play his part. And that the slayer was not minded to delay, not he, but swiftly at the first turn seized a sleeping man, rending him unopposed, biting the bone joints, drinking blood from veins, great goblets gorging down. Quickly he took all of that lifeless thing to be his food, even feet and hands. Onward and nearer he stepped, seized them with hand, the valiant-hearted man upon his bed. Against him the demon stretched his claw, and swiftly he laid hold on it. And with hate in his heart he propped him on his arm. Straightway that master of evil deeds perceived that never had he met within this world and earth's four corners on any other man a mightier grip of hand. In heart and soul he grew afraid, yet none the sooner could escape. It his desire would haste away, he would to hiding flee, seeking the devil's throng. Not now were his deathlings there, such as he ever and before in the days of his life had he found. Then the good knight, kinsman of Hegelac, remembered his words at evening. Upright he stood and grappled fast against him, fingers cracked, out would the ogre go. Forth strode the knight, the accursed thing would fain could he have done so? Go free afar and thence thee, flee away to hollows in the fens. He felt the power of his fingers in his fierce foe's grasp. It was a woeful journey that the fell robber had to Tehero made. The royal hall rang. On all the Danes, dwellers in the town, about on each bold heart there fell a ghastly fear. Wroth there they both, fierce rivals in the keeping of the house. The hall was full of noise. Great wonder was it then that the house of wine endured their battling, so that it fell not to the ground, fair dwelling upon earth, but stout was it smithed, within and without, with bonds of iron cunningly contrived. There, where they fought in wrath, was many a bench adorned with gold for the drinking of mead cast from its place upon the floor, so the tale tells. Never aforetime had the Stilding's counselors foreseen that any among men could in any wise shatter it with its goodliness adorned with ivory, nor dismember it with craft, unless the embrace of fire should engulf it in swathing smoke. Clamor new arose ever and anon. Dread fear came upon the northern Danes, upon each of those that from the wall heard the cries, the adversary of God singing his ghastly song. No chant of victory, the prisoner of hell bewailing his grievous hurt. Fast was he held by that most strong in body's might in that day of men's life here. In no wise would that captain of men permit that deadly guest to go forth alive, nor did he account the days of his life of use to any man. There many a knight of Beowulf drew swift his ancient blade, wishing to defend the life of his lord and master and renowned prince, if so he might. They knew it not, young warriors, brave-hearted, as they fought that fight, and on each side sought to hew the foe and pierce his vitals, that doer of evil none upon earth of swords of war would touch not the most excellent of things of iron, not so, for he had laid a spell upon all victorious arms and upon every blade. On that day of this life on, un- on earth unhappy was fated to be the sending forth of his soul. And far was that alien spirit to fare into the realm of fiends. Now did he perceive, who aforetime had wrought the race of men many a grief of heart and wrong, he had a feud with God, that his body's might would not avail him, but the valiant kinsman of Higalak had him by the arm. Hateful to each was the other's life. A grievous hurt of body that fierce slayer and dire now endured, a mighty wound was seen upon his shoulder, the sinews sprang apart, the joints of his bones burst. To Beowulf was vouchsafed triumph in battle. Thence now must Grendel flee, stricken to death, to hide beneath the slopes of the fens, seeking his joyless haunts. Thereby the more surely did he know that the end of his life was come to pass and the hours of his days were numbered. The deadly contest was over and achieved was the desire of all the Danes. In that hour had one come from afar, wise and stout of heart, Purged the hall of Hrothgar and redeemed it from the malice of Grendel. He rejoiced in his deeds that night and in the glory of his prowess. The chief of those Geatish men had accomplished all his proud vaunt before the East Danes and had healed, moreover, all the woe and the tormenting sorrow that they had erewhile suffered and must of necessity endure. No little bitterness of this clear a token. It was when the warrior bold had set the hand, the arm, and shoulder beneath the widespread roof. There was all Grendel's clutching lemon tire. Then have I heard that in the morning many a warlike knight was gathered about his patron's hall, the chieftains of the people had come from afar and near over the distant ways that marvel to behold, and the footprints of that hated one. No grief for his departure from life felt any of those men who looked upon the trail of his inglorious flight, marking how sick at heart he had dragged his footsteps, bleeding out his life, from thence away defeated and death doomed to the water demon's mere. There the waters boiled with blood, and the dread turmoil of the waves was all blended with hot gore, and seethed with battle's crimson. Therein, doomed to die, he plunged and bereft of joys in his retreat amid the fens, yielded up his life in heathen soul. There hell received him. Thence the ancient men of the court, and many a young man too, fared back from their joyous journey, riding from the mere upon their steeds in pride. Knights upon horses white, There was the renown of Beowulf recalled, many a man, and oft declared that south or north the two seas between was there, no other beneath the encircling sky more excellent among bearers of the shield, more worthy of kingly rule. Yet verily they did not in anything belittle their lord and patron, gracious Hrothgar, nay a good king was he. At Wiles, those warriors bold set their bay horses of renowned excellence to gallop and run in rivalry, where the paths over earth seemed good to them. At Wiles, a servant of the king, a man laden with proud memories who had lays in mind, and recalled a host and multitude of tales of old. Word followed word, each truly linked to each." This man, in his turn, began with skill to treat the quest of Beowulf and in flowing verse to utter his ready tale, interweaving words. He recounted all that he had heard tell concerning Sig- Sigismund's works of prowess, many a strange tale, the arduous deeds of the Welshing, and his adventures far and wide. Deeds of vengeance and of enmity, things that the children of men knew not fully, save only Fatella, who was with him. In those days he was wont to tell of something something of such matters, brother to his sister's son. Even as they were ever comrades in need of every desperate strait, many and many of the giant race had they laid low with swords, for Sigismund was noised afar. After his dying day, no little fame, since he staunch in battle, had slain the serpent. The guardian of the horde. Yea, he, the son of noble house, beneath the or rock alone, had dared a perilous deed. Fitella was not with him. Nonetheless, it was the fortune that the sword pierced through the serpent of strange shape and stood fixed in the wall, goodly blade of iron. The dragon died a cruel death. The fierce slayer had achieved by his valor that he might as his own will enjoy that hoard of rings. The boat upon the sea he laid the... the laid and bore to the bosom of his ship the bright treasures. The offspring of whales was the dragon melted in its heat. He was far and wide of adventurers and most renowned throughout the prince... throughout the, throughout the people of mankind for his works of prowess, that prince of warriors. Thereby did he aforetime time grow great. After the valor of Haramad, his might and prowess had failed. And he in the land of the Utes, was betrayed into the power of his enemies and swiftly sent to death. Too long did the surges of sorrow beat upon him. A mortal affliction, he became unto his people and to all nobles. Yet in time, gone by many a wise man, had oft lamented the exile of that stout-hearted one. To whom they looked for the, the cure of their ills, believing that this son of their king was like to advance to, ver- to advance in virtue, and inherit the qualities of his father, to keep well the people, the treasures and the fenced strongholds and the realm of his vassals, the land of the Sildings. But he there, now among them, the kinsman of Higalak, had proved more pleasing in the eyes of all men and of his friends, on that other's heart wickedness had seized. Again, at wiles and rivalry upon their steeds, they measured the dusty roads. Now the light of morning was advanced in haste far upon its course. Many a knight of stout heart went unto that lofty hall to see that marvel strange. So too the king himself from his bedchamber. Bread-bedchamber. Guardian of hordes of rings, renowned for his largesse, strode in majesty amid a great company. And with him the queen with her train of maidens paced the path unto the mead hall. Hrothgar spake. He was come to the hall and stood upon the steps and looked upon the steep roof bright with gold and upon Grendel's hand. For this sight be thanks, swiftly given to Almighty God. Much evil and many woes have I endured from Grendel. Ever may God perform marvel upon marvel, Lord of glory. It was but little while ago that I hoped never in all my life to find healing of any of my woes. When this best of houses stood stained with blood and dripping with fresh gore, that was a grief far-reaching to every one of my counselors, who hoped not that they would ever in the world should defend the stronghold of the people of the land from the malice of demons and of devils. Now hath one young man through the might of the Lord wrought a deed that we none of us with our wisdom were able to compass. Lo! This may she say, if yet she lives. Whoever among men did bring forth this son among the peoples of earth, that the eternal God was gracious to her in her childbearing. Now, Beowulf, best of men, I will cherish thee in my heart even as a son. Hereafter keep thou well this new kinship. Lack shalt thou have of none of thy desires in the world. Of such is lie in my power, full oft for less have I granted a reward and honorable gifts from my treasure to a humbler man and to one less eager in battle. Thou hast achieved for thyself with thine own deeds that thy glory shall live forever to all ages. The Almighty reward thee with good, even as he hitherto hath done. Beowulf spake, the son of though, We, with all good will, achieved that deed of prowess in battle and the perilous strength of the unknown thing we dared. Yet rather had I wished that thou might see him here, Grendel himself, thy foe in his array, sick unto death. I purposed in hard bonds swiftly to bind him upon his deathbed, that by the grasp of my hands he should be forced to lie struggling for life. Had not his body escaped me. I might not. Since it was not the will of God, restrain his flight. I did not cleave fast enough for that unto my mortal foe. Too overwhelming was the might of that fiend in body's movement. None the less, he hath left behind upon his trail his hand and arm and shoulder. Yet in no wise thus hath that unhappy one purchased himself relief. None the longer thereby will he live, that doer of evil wrong, burdened by his sins, nay, pain, hath him closely gripped in a grasp he cannot flee in bonds of anguish there must he stained with sin await the great day of doom in the sentence that the bright judge will pronounce on him then was the son of edge a man more sparing of his words and vaunting speech concerning his deeds in war now that the royal company through the valor of Beowulf, looked up to the lofty roof at the hand and fingers of their foe. At the tip was each one of the stout nails, most like unto steel. Grievous and cruel were the spurs upon the hand of that savage thing. All agreed that there was not so hard, no iron proven of old, that would touch him in such wise as to hurt that demon's blood-stained, murdering hand. Then it was ordered that Hearo should swiftly be adorned within by the hands of men. Many were there, men and women who arrayed that hall of revelry and welcome, glittering with gold tapestries shone along the walls, many a marvelous thing to see for every one of those that on such things love to look. Sorely shattered was all that shining house within. From their iron bars and hinges of the doors were wrenched away— The roof alone was preserved free from all injury, when that fierce slayer stained with deeds of wrong had turned to flee despairing of his life. No easy thing is it to escape, let him strive who will, nay, he shall come at last to a place appointed by inevitable fate, made ready for all those who have life, the sons of men dwelling upon earth, where his body still upon its bed of rest shall sleep after the feast." Now was at the time an hour, and the son of Hifaldin went to the hall. The king himself would partake of the feast. Never have I heard tell that a people was thronged more numerous or bore itself more gallantly than they did when about their lord and friend. They went, in, they went then in splendor to their seats, rejoicing in plenty. Meatly they partook of many a cup of mead. High of heart were the kinsmen in that lofty, in that lofty hall, Hrothgar and Hrothulf, Heorot was filled with friends. In no wise did the sildings work treachery as yet. Then did the son of Hefaldin give to Beowulf a golden ensign as reward of his victory, an embroidered banner upon a staff, and a helm and corslet. A renowned and treasured sword there many saw laid before that warrior. The cup Beowulf received there in the hall... No need had he to feel ashamed by the riches given unto him before the assembled bowmen. Few men, have I heard tell, gave ever to another seated at the drinking and more loving wise four such precious gifts, round the, guards, round the helmet's crown the whale wound about with wire, kept guard without over the head. That no sword that leaves the file of smith, hardened in the rain of blows, might cruelly injure it, when the eager warrior beneath his shield should go against his foes. Then the lord of men commanded that eight horses with gold-plated bit and bridle be led into the hall. In amid the courts, upon one of these there lay a saddle, adorned with cunning colors and rich with gems, the seat in battle had it been of the high king. In days when the son of Hefaldin would play the play of swords, never had the valor of that far-famed lord failed in the front of war. When slain men fell, and thereupon the warden of the servants of Ing, Danes, granted unto Beowulf possession of both, of weapons and of steeds, he bade him use them well. Thus, right manfully, did the renowned king, rich lord of men, Reward the impetuous deeds of battle with treasures and with horses, in such wise that no man finds fault in him who will justly speak the truth. Moreover, the lord of men to each of those that with Beowulf had made the passage of the sea, gave as they sat at their mead a rich gift and heirloom, and commanded that atonement should be paid with gold for that one whom Grendel wickedly had slain, even as he would have more." had not the foreseeing God and the courage of that man fended fate from them. God was Lord then of all the race of men, even as he yet is. Wherefore is understanding, and the heart that taketh thought in every time and the place best. Much must he endure of sweet and bitter, who long time had in these days of trouble enjoyeth life in the world. I'm going to take a real quick break, get some water, maybe a cough drop. I'll be back in a moment. All right, I'm back. There was song, and the voices of men gathered together before the leader of the host of Hifaldine. There the harp was touched to mirth, and many a lay recalled. Then, according to the office, Hrothgar's minstrel touched upon a tale to the liking of those upon the benches drinking their mead within the hall. He told of the sons of Finn. When the sudden onslaught came upon them, the hero of the Half Danes, Naf of the Sildings, fell by fate in the Frisian slaughter. Of a truth Hildeberg had little cause to praise the loyalty of the Utes. By no fault of hers, she was robbed of her loved ones in the clash of shields, of brothers and of sons. They fell according to their doom slain by the spear. A woeful lady she, not without cause, did that daughter of Hoke lament the decree of fate. When that morning came, whereon she might behold... Beneath the light of day, the cruel slang of her kin, where he aforetime had possessed the great er- greatest earthly joy, there had war taken all Finn's champions, save few alone, so that he might by no means on that field of meeting wage to an end the fight with Hengist, nor in battle rest the sad remnant from the captain of the prince. Nay, they offered terms to him, that he would make all free for them another court, both hall and throne, that they should have possession of the half thereof, sharing with the sons of the youths, and at the giving of treasure, the son of Foldwalla, should each day honor the Danes, should with the rings and hoarded jewels of plate, plated gold, rejoice the company of Hengist, no wit less than he he was wont in the drinking hall to enhearten the men of Frisian race. Thus, on both sides, they confirmed a binding treaty of peace. To Hengist Finn, in full and without reserve, the cough drop was not doing me well right there. I had to take it out. They, on both sides, confirmed a binding treaty of peace. To Hengist Finn, in full and without reserve, declared with solemn oath that he would, with the advice of his counselors, honorably entreat the sad remnant of the fight. And that there should no man ever recall it to mind, not though they serve the slayer of him, who before had given them rings, being now without a lord, for such was their necessity, if, moreover, any of the men of Frisia should watch with grievous words recall to memory that deadly feud, then should it be expiated by the edge of the sword. A pyre was made ready, and the gleaming gold brought forth from the treasury That best of the heroes in battle of the warrior of the Sildings was arrayed upon the funeral pile. Upon that pyre was plain to see, blood-drenched corslet, swine crest all made of gold, boar hair hard as iron, many a lord by wounds destroyed. One and all they had fallen in that slaughter. Then Hildeberg bade that her own sons be committed to the flames upon the pyre of Neph. There to burn their bones, setting him upon the funeral pile at his uncle's side. The lady mourned, bewailing them in song. The warrior was mounted upon high. Up to the clouds swirled that mightiest of destroying fires, roaring before the burial mound, consumed were their heads, their gaping wounds burst open. The cruel hurts of the body and the blood sprang forth. Flame devoured them all, hungriest of spirits. And that, in that place war had taken, of either people, their glory had passed away. Then the warriors, bereft of their friends, departed to look upon their dwellings, to see the Frisian land, their homes and mighty town, still Hengist abode with Finn that blood-stained winter, keeping fully to his word. He thought of his own land, even though he could not speed upon the sea, his ship with curving beak. The deep was tossed in storm and battled with the wind. Winter locked the waves in icy bond until another year came to the dwellings of men, even as it doth yet. Those weathers gloriously fair that unchangingly observe the seasons. Now past was winter and fair the bosom of the earth. The exile and guest of Finn was eager to be gone from those courts. Therein, more thought did he give to vengeance for his sorrow than to the passage of the sea, pondering if he might again achieve a clash of wrath, wherein he would in his heart remember the children of the Utes. Wherefore, he did not refuse the homage that binds all men, when Hunlaf's son laid, laid the light of battle, that best of swords upon his lap. The edges thereof the Utes knew full well, and so, too, in turn, cruel destruction by the sword came upon Finn in his very hall. When Guthlaf and Oslaf, after their journey over the sea, had recounted their sorrow in that deadly onslaught, and complained their woeful lot, the restless spirits, spirit within the breast might not be restrained. Then was that hall reddened with the life blood of their foes, and Finn, too, slain. The king amid his company, and the queen was taken. The bowmen of the Sildings bore to their ships all the wealth of the house of the king of earth, all such as they could find jewels and cunning gems. Over the ways of the sea they bore that royal lady to the land of the Danes and brought her to her people. The lay was sung, the minstrel's tale at an end. Merry noise arose once more. Loud and clear the sound of revelry upon the seats. The cup-bearers gave out wine from vessels wondrous wrought. Now came wealth wealth forth. And wearing many a golden ring, she went to see where those proud men sat, both uncle and brother son. Still was their kinship love between them, and each to the other true. There too on Firth, the king's sage, sat at the feet of the Sildings, Sildings Lord. Each man among them trusted in his mind's temper that he had a mighty heart, albeit he had not in the play of the swords dealt mercy to his kin. Then spake the lady of the Sildings, Receive now this cup, dear lord of mine, giver of rich gifts, in happy hour be thou, from whom men get love and gifts of gold, and to the geats speak with kindly words as behooves a man, to the geats be gracious, and forget not to give of those things that now thou hast gathered from near and far. I have heard men say that thou went in mind to take this warrior for thy son. Lo, Hero is cleansed, this shining hall where rings are dealt. Dispose while yet thou mayest of many a reward, and to thy kin after thee leave thy people in thy realm. When thou must go forth to look upon thy fate. Hrothulf, I know well, my nephew fair, that he will in honor cherish those our youths. If thou, dear master of the Sildings, sooner than he do leave this world, methinks that he will with good repay our sons. If he recalleth all those deeds of grace that we did unto him, to his pleasure and his honor, while yet he was a child. Then turned she to the seat where sat her sons, Hrethric and Hrothmund, and the children of mighty men, Young warriors all were gathered together there beside those brethren, twain that brave heart sat Beowulf of the Geats to him was the cup born and friendship offered in fair words, and the twisted gold was brought forth with all good will, two armlets, a mantle, and rings, and the mightiest of torques that I have heard was ever upon the neck of man on earth. Beneath the light of day I heard, never men, I heard never men tell of any better treasure in the hordes of the mighty since Hama bore away to the bright city the necklace of the brosings, jewel and precious vessel. He fled from the ensnaring hate of Jormenik and chose of the councils of the eternal faith. This circlet, Higelac, king of the Geats of the blood of Sverting, had with him on that last day when beneath his standard he defended his treasures and fought for his spoil of battle. Fate took him, for that he and his pride had challenged his own ruin and the enmity of the Frisian folk. This fair thing of precious stones he bore now over the bowl of the seas, a king in his might. Beneath his shield he fell. Thus into the grasp of the frank came now the life of the king, the armor upon his breast, and that necklet too. And warriors, albeit of less prowess and arms, there stripped the slain. When the blows of battle were done, the people of the Geats were left upon the field of Slain. The hall was filled with clamor. These words did well utter. Before all that spoke, before all that host, she spake, Have and use well to thy good this precious thing, Beowulf, young and dear, and for thine own joy take this mantle. A thing treasured among this people, and prosper well. Show forth thyself in valor, And to these, my sons, be gracious in thy counsels, for that thy heart will remember to reward thee. Thou hast achieved that far and near, all the ages long shall men esteem thee, as wide as the sea encircleth the windy walls of the land. Be thou blessed, O Prince, while thy life endures. A wealth of precious things I wish thee with good heart. Thou, be thou to my sons kindly in deeds, possessing days of mirth. "'In this place is each good man to his fellow true, "'friendly in heart, loyal unto his liege lord, "'of one mind the servants of the king, "'the people already to his will, "'his warriors filled with wine. "'Do thou as I bid.' "'She went then to her seat. "'There was the very few choice of banquets, "'where men drank their wine, "'fate they knew not grim, "'appointed of old as it had gone already forth "'for many of these good men.' So soon an evening came, and Hrothgar the mighty departed to his lodging and to his couch. The hall was guarded by a host of men uncounted, and even as it was oft before, they stripped the benches of wooden board, and all along the hall were beds and pillows spread. Over those who had there drunk the ale, fate hung now high at hand. As they laid laid them upon their crutches, couches on the floor, at their heads they set their warlike shields. targes fashioned of wood and blazoned bright. Thereupon each bench was plain to see above each knight the helm that he had borne aloft in battle, in his coat of ringed mail, his spear valiant in the press of war. Their manner was it that seldom they were unprepared for the onslaught, be it at home or amid the host, or in either case, even at all such times as upon their liege lord need should come, a worthy company was that. Now they sank into sleep, one there was who paid grievously for his rest that eve. Even as full oft had befallen them in time when Grendel had dwelt in that golden hall and wrought evil there, even until his end came and death after his deeds of wrong, plain made it, plain was it made and published abroad among men that an avenger to succeed their foe lived yet long, while after that woeful strife, Grendel's mother, Ogres, fierce destroyer in the form of woman, misery was in her heart. She who must abide in the dreadful waters and the cold streams, since Cain with the sword became the slayer of his only brother, his kinsman by his father's blood, thereafter he departed an outlaw branded with murder. Shunning the mirth of men, abiding in the wilderness, from thence sprang many creatures doomed of old, of whom was Grendel one, outlawed by hate as is the deadly wolf who at Haro had found one one who unsleeping awaited battle. There had the fierce slayer seized upon him, but he remembered the might of his valor, that gift which God bounteously bestowed upon him, and he trusted in the one God for mercy, for succor and for aid. I'm going to close this one off there. That's ending on the top line of page 50, because we're at 38 minutes. I want to get some time to talk here. So... This one got uh, a little bit twistier with the words. I'm going to put this cough drop back in. Reading out loud for that long really makes your throat kind of sore. This one twisted my tongue up a bit. I was not ready for some of those words. However, I did find it kind of interesting. What sounded towards the end there, like necklets and all that, sounded a lot like Norse mythology to me. Kind of like the Dropnir thing that Odin gave to... Was it Loki? Not sure. Oh, no. Uh, Sindri gave to Odin Dropnir, which was a band of gold that every two weeks would drip out nine more bands of gold. I think that's the story. But this was interesting because I, having read The Leia Beowulf before this, found the... um, battle that Beowulf had from the different perspective. I thought that Beowulf jumped in on Grendel sleeping and attacked him, but really it was Grendel who attacked Beowulf. That was pretty interesting. And on top of that, I think it was kind of, it was kind of odd that, uh, you know, I'm just looking at the levels here for some reason. Oh, that's why the levels were way down to three Well, I can fix that shit in post. It's not that big of a deal. But this story is overall pretty interesting. Um, I do think that it's influenced by Norse mythology a bit because, you know, the Danes are in that area. And I feel that um, when we conclude the story, this is going to be pretty interesting. However, because I'm reading it, I haven't read out loud in a long time. I'm not really comprehending the story as well as i would if i was just reading it to myself so maybe someone's gonna have to email me in and tell me what i read um i will see you guys at the on friday and we're gonna talk about whatever maybe it's gonna be more love spells who knows um see you guys then i'm gonna put you out with a song i don't know what song it's gonna be but it's definitely gonna be one adios